When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The presidents and UFOs. We were going last week, and uh, my mom came in and tripped the breaker, or not the breaker, the router, and lost the internet. She was like, "Did I mess up your podcast?" And I was like, "Just a little bit." But uh, <laughs> me and Larry back at it. And, yeah, I uh, wondered what happened to you. It just tell you yeah. sitting there text yeah she came came in and i was like can i help mom do you need any help no i'm fine okay you got it you got it and then your image froze and i was like yeah i saw it coming from a mile away but uh it's all good shit happens but you were you were frozen to me uh, i uh i kept uh, saying tommy are you uh, still thinking <laughs> yeah gone. that's yeah. exactly what it looked like well well since we have uh since we have last spoken, I have uh, talked to Dr. Lynn Katai of the Phoenix Lights, and she is going to come on in February. And I have also spoke to Nick Pope of the MODs, the Ministry of Defense's UFO program. He is going to come on in December. And, um, yeah, hoping to just bring more discussion to this topic because despite so today is November 4th, 2020, 4.01 p.m., the 2020 election is being hotly contested right now. Despite all of that sexy stuff, to me, there is still nothing more uh, exhilarating and uh, curiosity-grabbing than the the possibility of extraterrestrial craft visiting us. And that's, that's really what you go through in your book, Presidents and UFOs, which will be in the description in the top comment. And we talked about it for two hours last time, two hours and change. But um, there's still so much I want to talk about, and you emailed me, and I'd like to jump into it. Can, can we go into the uh, – do you mind giving the listeners a brief overview of the JAL flight in Alaska? Yeah, that's uh, – that I think is one of the more really top-of-the-list subjects. Yeah. Top five, let's say. Yeah. Um, it's uh, – um, is my sound coming through all right to you? sounds coming through great. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. no, you're coming through crystal clear. <clears throat> um, that was oh, 1986, I think. 1986. I believe. Anyway, it was a Japan Airlines 747 cargo flight mm-hmm. coming uh, from France uh, to back to Japan uh, with a load of wine, by the way. Um, it was going to make a stopover, and I'm not real clear whether the stopover was, um, I mean, it was to stop over in Anchorage, whether that was a refueling stopover or a spend the night stopover. But that's really immaterial. Um, Somewhere um, before landing, probably about, I would say, an hour before landing uh, at Anchorage, uh, the pilot noticed uh, a light 
to his left to the starboard side of the aircraft now there have been multiple versions of this uh, of this incident uh both um uh, on radio and television and they all differ i think the uh the best recap of the event was written by dr bruce mcabee uh who really looked into the in, into the uh, event in any case the pilot saw as i recall from from dr mcabee's uh, account the pilot saw a what he thought or light really that was about five miles uh away from his craft from, from the starboard side of his craft and he alerted his co-pilot to it to this light uh they watched it uh, for a few minutes and i believe it, as it came closer they came to the conclusion that it was in fact an aircraft and they con uh, uh the co-pilot called anchorage to ask him to ask Anchorage if there were any other aircraft in the area. Were they showing any other aircraft? And Anchorage responded that uh, no, no, they didn't see any other aircraft in his vicinity. So they told Anchorage what they were seeing. And uh, uh, then the conversation ended and they watched this object. All of a sudden, the object went from the port side about five miles and they they were picking it up on the aircraft radar went from the port side to the starboard side in a flash just that quick it moved that quick and that of course that alerted them that they were looking at something extraordinary um as the story goes on, the this is according to Maccabee, this object which they now could clearly see, or in the dust they could see an outline of it, that this thing was huge. The pilot said the size of two aircraft carriers, just an absolute Monster. huge uh, object. And all of a sudden, the object shot forward right in front of the aircraft. Not right in front, but a mile or two or three or four, whatever, in front of the in front of the aircraft. And out of this object came two smaller craft that came toward the airline. Um, I can't remember the details of the pilot and what the pilot and the co-pilot did. And the, there was an engineer on board, too. Uh, but at one point, the captain said that these two smaller objects came so close to the windscreen of his aircraft that he could feel heat yeah. from it in the uh, in the cockpit. Yeah. Uh, after some maneuvers, they went back and joined the uh, the other craft, the big craft, uh, which continued on for a while, but then shot off. Um, 
Anchorage had been in touch with Elmendorf Air Force Base, asking the uh, uh, the radar folks at Elmendorf if they had anything on their screen. And they reported back that they were getting an intermittent, intermittent return Mm -hmm. that was now behind the aircraft, in trail of the aircraft. This was reported to to the aircraft. As you can imagine, the uh, flight crew was getting uh, pretty concerned now, uh, very concerned to the point that they requested that uh, ground control or uh, ATC give them permission to do a 360-degree mm-hmm. turn, uh, at which time uh, the uh, UFO, uh, they, they started their turn, and at the same time, the UFO followed their turn. Now, this meant that the UFO was having to change speed because they were outside of the the uh, 7 747 mm-hmm. so their speed would need to increase to keep up with it so it never changed the the speed of the aircraft never changed that I'm, I'm got ahead of myself they did this before the UFO disappeared from their view and they were told that the craft was now in trail they did this made this the circle as I recall before that because they watched the UFO turn with them. Uh, so they made this 360-degree turn, and um, the events, I'm not real, I can't recall exactly what happened now, that, but the, the, they didn't see the object anymore. Mm-hmm. But the radar at Elmendorf, and I think that now Anchorage was picking it up, uh, that the craft was in trail. Anyway, as they approached Anchorage, and some time had elapsed now, um, and they started that descent into Anchorage, the object disappeared, and uh, they didn't see it again. Uh, they went ahead and landed in Anchorage. Uh, obviously, the crew was pretty shaken flight crew was pretty shaken up about this and they were interviewed they reported it the incident and they were interviewed uh in some way it was leaked to the papers it got to the it got to the newspapers Mm -hmm. or the media and uh things really blew up then it so happened that uh the uh uh, head of uh, the FAA, uh, John Callahan. Uh, yeah, John Callahan. Uh, he, I think he was head of accident investigations mm-hmm. at the time for FAA, and uh, his boss, head of FAA, who was uh, Admiral. Oh, I can't recall his name right offhand, but it doesn't make any difference. He was head of FAA. Mm-hmm. Told Callahan to find out what was going on. Yeah. 
what all this was about. So Callahan got into it. He got the tapes, um, audio tapes from Anchorage uh, and from Elmendorf and as well as the radar, whatever the radar, their tracking, the, whatever yeah, makes yeah. it makes the tape uh-huh. of what the radar is seeing. He got those, got them together, and had their in-house people synchronize the radar mm-hmm. returns with the sound of uh, the audio sound from the from the the two towers. Uh, got them synced together. Um, then his boss contacted him and said that uh, he was to come to a meeting uh, at his office uh, the next morning. Uh, when Callahan showed up, and of course had the tapes, when he showed up, there were uh, there were a couple of men there from uh, CIA, I believe, and two men from uh, President Reagan's. Um, um, science, science advisory board scientific scientific office yes and uh, they uh, looked at the the documents and the, the information that uh, Callahan had and uh, became very excited and Callahan questioned him said what what do you see here what is the excitement obviously other than what they knew and the uh, the people I think from Reagan's uh, office uh, science office said this is the first time we ever had really solid um, data uh, and radar data on a UFO Mm -hmm. which sort of shocked Callahan anyway to to wrap this up um, they um, when the meeting was over uh, Callahan was told by CIA that this meeting never happened. Yeah. To forget it. Yeah. It never happened. So Callahan went on back to his office. What uh, he didn't tell them, I guess they didn't ask and he didn't think to tell them, he had made copies yep. of this, of the data. And they were sitting on his credenza in his office. And uh, <laughs> so he really didn't give it any more thought. Uh, consequently, uh, so a couple of years passed and Callahan retired. Yeah. And they were still sitting on his desk. So he, when he packed up his, uh, packed up his uh, office paraphernalia yeah. and uh, he packed this along, these uh, tapes along with it. And took it home and the tapes set in his garage for a period of time. Um, uh, he, um, when he went public with it, it was some years later. And, uh, he said that he was able to go public with it because it was a meeting that never happened. Yeah. And, and, uh, anyway, that, that news broke and the, uh, Japan Airlines incident became big news and I think uh, is one of the better stories in all of 
uh, better events and better documented by very reliable people uh, that this this event uh, would certainly seem to be uh, a true UFO event that is, uh, in my opinion, extraterrestrial. I don't think we had anything flying that size then or now. Um, so uh, it's a, I think it's a, it's one of the best, one of the best uh, recorded incidents in uh, ufology. Yeah, and um, I was going to say, uh, Dr. Haynes, Dr. Haynes, Dr. Haynes, the NASA researcher, since the mid-1960s, he worked on Gemini, Apollo, and Skylab, and he created something called the AirCat Files, and it's over 3,000 causes of, uh, cases of unusual visual, and ra- unusual visual and radar sightings of unexplained aerial phenomena. Dr. Haynes actually contacted the, the pilot of the Japan Airlines flight, because the pilot, I believe, was, was grounded by the by the company because it was and it's and it's i mean it's almost it's almost stereotypical it'd almost be funny if it wasn't sad but it's like that like it's like the japanese stereotype it was like he brought dishonor to his like country by claiming to see a ufo and this guy was like so he kind of he took if i recall it correctly he was grounded but he was like i'm not he was like it's what happened he was like i have the radar he was like it it was real and finally dr haynes provided similar data of other cases from uh from noteworthy uh air force pilots over the years and made a case to japan uh japan airlines for this pilot on for no other reasons other than like you know you're kind of screwing this guy over and i believe he was reinstated they let him start flying again and his reputation was kind of restored but it's because yeah, Dr. i think that was responsible that haynes was responsible yeah. for that yeah yeah haynes got him basically got him his job back and it wasn't haynes didn't have any vested interest but he was like hey he was because japan airlines looked at it as like oh this pilot's a kook like we can't have him on the the payroll basically but uh haynes went out and was like look like the best pilots in the air force of the united states come out with this stuff all the time and um but it's kind of interesting and it's it seems to be a recurring theme right aircraft carrier sized ufos it's that's right twice the size of an aircraft. twice the well japan airlines that's a notably larger one but um another case is uh let's see harry allen jordan um he was a radar operator on the uss roosevelt in 1962 and he noticed and he there's a whole a link if there's a 28 minute video of him testifying and he was a he was a master electronic countermeasure i guess researcher as well as radar operator in 1962 at 65,000 feet and 1,000 knots out, I think, over the Atlantic, there was an aircraft carrier-sized UFO. And it had all the same traits as all the other ones. They send up stuff to get it. It disappears. The planes land. It reappears. It's happened again and again and again that it seems to be aircraft carrier size. So it's f- normally, like, the noteworthy thing is, like, it's that instantaneous movement, right, that like 10,000 G, uh, G force. Just, yep. But it seems the other one is like, it's almost like they're trying to show us without a doubt that they are not human. And it's the speed and, or the size. It's just something insane. Right. And it, yeah, it's just, 
it boggles my mind and it always makes me think like I would love to see because listening to or watching uh, the Phoenix Lights Beyond Top Secret by Dr. Uh, the, the documentary on Amazon by Dr. Lynn Katai um, they talk about how fighter jets were scrambled to see it and there's actually like leaked uh, leaked air traffic I guess audio of one of the pilots saying he's like we got gun camera footage of it like this thing was enormous but it just makes me think like somewhere there was like high resolution imagery and video of these massive craft I would just love to see it <laughs> yeah well um, Dr. Lynn is uh, she's she's very good she's and the real deal uh, yeah I uh, she helped me with my book mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, allowed me to publish uh, some of her photographs and uh, renderings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, she yeah, she's uh, she is probably the most knowledgeable of all of the uh, uh, Phoenix Lights, uh, Phoenix Light uh, uh, people witnesses yeah um although i'm not sure that she actually saw the main event she had some other events um i think prior to that that she, she had photographed she did she had prior events she was there for the main one on march 3rd she was there for that one as well yeah well I, uh, I did it's been a while since i've had any conversation yeah. with her uh, but she's she's very good, yeah. and uh, that's a, that's another uh, excellent case because so many there were so many witnesses. Yeah, tens of thousands. Uh, yeah, and I remember uh, one witness, and I think this was on the documentary that uh, out of the blue. Mm-hmm. The documentary was out of the blue, mm-hmm. and and it had uh, a lady there in phoenix saying that if you opened a newspaper and held it over your head it still wouldn't block out this this craft completely yeah now that's that's pretty big that's insane yeah it's yeah so yeah she's uh she's uh she's very good i'm glad you're having her on yeah yeah I, i talked to her on the phone last week actually after you and i spoke i talked to her on the phone oh really yeah and uh yeah she she had she saw something because uh, there was an event like a couple months or I think two years prior and then a couple months prior but the big one the Phoenix Lights was March 13th 1997 and uh, she saw that one as well and she took uh, photographs and 35 millimeter uh, video and that video that's super high I mean that's film is very high resolution physical film and uh, yeah she had that she sent that film to I think the Navy optical lab which are the best the best uh, f- uh i guess f- image analyzers on the planet and they broke yeah. it down yeah they broke it down we're looking at the histograms of the light and the guy was saying he was like this isn't he's like this is this is a physical object in the sky and he's like these are not flares the light the, the luminosity the lightness the brilliance uh he's like it's not it's not changing it's a perpetual light it's a perpetual shape and they're the same exact distance from each other it's not a flare and again that's just I mean Fife Symington the governor of uh, Arizona at the time and former Air Force pilot later said he said this is an alien craft he said there's no other explanation for it this is an alien craft yeah I've got uh, she sent me some photographs I've got one of them in my book yeah 
that uh, she took, not of this particular event, but of a prior one. Yeah. So there are several orbs. Yeah, the amber orbs. orbs. Oh, the phoenix. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, that'd be a good show for you. I know. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I want to get on a lot of people around the Phoenix Lights, the, uh, I guess would be the 24th anniversary. I want to put together a couple people. Larry, you're going to be one of them. I want to put together a couple episodes and stitch them together. And, um, <laughs> yeah, she's going to try to get me some firsthand witnesses that were there. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, there's, I don't exactly know how to put my finger on it. But there's something about knowing that it's not an illusion, that it's not a, 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 a trick of a trick of light, that there is a physical craft in this atmosphere from somewhere else. It just gives me goosebumps. People were staring at it, and they just said, you knew this wasn't from Earth. It was just it said, a mile wide. It was blotting out the stars overhead as it just went by quietly and slowly. And it's something that your your rational mind can't explain. And I really do think it happened. And I I can only imagine that, I mean, if we can read the newspaper, if we can read the print of a newspaper in Moscow Square in the 60s from the Corona satellites, well, that just means you, there has to be high-resolution photos from space of a bird's eye view of all these craft all over the world over the decades yeah you would think so wouldn't you I, I would I would say that there are I'd just say beyond classified they're just you know blacker yeah. than black but it's and then as well as the Phoenix and you mentioned this in your book an NRO satellite was knocked out that night yeah um there were some strange, several strange events that happened that yeah, night. Yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah, uh, that did slip my mind. But yeah, uh, yeah I uh, I did write about you that. You did, yeah. Bill Clinton being rushed to a bunker. Yeah, he. Uh, Greg Norman's house. He was yeah at Greg Norman's house, and he said, or they said, or his spokesman said, whoever yeah. said that when he was leaving the house he tripped on a step yeah that's how he hurt his leg because he had to had to go to the yeah. hospital i believe and he had to use a use crutches or something for uh, a period of time a uh, short period of time uh but the the real uh, uh skinny on that was that they that the secret service grabbed him yeah out of out of um uh, Norman's house and took him to a safe yeah. location and somewhere that his leg was hurt in that process. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, we so we know that happens on, in in emergencies. I mean, Dick Cheney talks about how the Secret Service came into his uh, into his office at the White House after the second plane hit the South Tower, and they said they think one's coming for the White House and you need to go. And um, no, I think an aide came in and said that. He said, "I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm man in my post." Then the Secret Service came in and didn't ask him any questions. He said they ran in, they grabbed him by the belt loops and collars like a battering ram, and they ran out. And Cheney, yeah. Cheney said his feet weren't on the ground as these guys were running with him. So 
when they decide to protect the package, they they grab you like a sack of potatoes and they run with you. They don't give a shit what happens. Yeah, I think they took him. Uh, they took him to the bunker in the White House. The White House has a yeah. very secure bunker, yeah. underground bunker. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's uh, um, proof, uh, blast proof. Yeah. Uh, for a nuclear weapon, uh-huh. so it's a pretty secure place. Yeah, they took. And they've in. also got uh, uh, what is that place in West Virginia? Raven Rock, uh, Mount, Mount Weather. Mount Weather, mm-hmm. yeah. That uh, they used to at one time it was the Greenbrier. Yep, the Greenbrier Hotel that was for Congress. Yeah, but now it's uh, Mount Weather. Yeah. Uh, so they've got they've got that that place also, but at that time I'm. They didn't have time to put him into anything to fly him away. Yeah. So they went to the bunker, as well as uh, Condoleezza Rice. Mm-hmm. She was, was there. The yep. They were all down there. Yeah. So, anyway, that's a uh, that's an interesting story. Yeah. Uh, it's when it gets to the presidential level, which I mean, hence your book, Presidents and UFOs, which for all the new listeners is. I, I put it up there with uh, Leslie Kane's uh, UFOs, generals, and military officials, and uh, John Greenwald's Black Vault. Uh, I put Larry's up there. Those are, the I think, the three best UFO books out there. So if you're a UFO fan, grab it. If you're not, grab it, and you will be a UFO fan. But that's, to me, what gets eerie is um is when something happens with the president, right? Yeah, it's or whenever these things happen in D.C. Right, the 1952, the D.C. merry-go-round, or the right. cares, yeah, the 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 saucers going over there at seven thousand miles an hour. It's it's it, it goes from yeah, it goes from a bunch of fluff and uh, you know National Enquirer type stuff to very real when the Secret Service evacuates the president. It's because that, that that's when you know it's 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 a physical craft in the vicinity in a no-fly zone and they have to get him underground yeah yeah uh, I'm not sure what they did with Truman uh, I don't think they did anything with Truman I know that uh, in 52 man 52 yeah when yeah. Uh, Truman this was yeah that was, that was uh, July, July 20 there were two weekend nights mm-hmm one following to the other, that these things showed up on a Saturday night after dark. And uh, they were seen visually. They were seen from the ground. They were seen from the air by airline pilots. And uh, they were tracked on radar. Yes. No question about it. And uh, the uh, head of Air Force public relations whose name escapes me right off hand uh, Albert Chop Al Chop was at home when this occurred on the first night which was like July 19th 1952 Um, the second time it occurred is next weekend Saturday night Chop actually was in the tower at uh, Washington National, watching them on radar. Um, When they had jet scramble, the first uh, night, the first weekend night, uh, the jets jets were scrambled. Uh, 
And when they flew in the vicinity of these UFOs, the UFOs shot off. Yes. When the jets left, the UFOs came back. Now, of course, they're flying in airspace over the Capitol, over the yeah. uh, White House, yeah. which is, I mean, that's really a no-no. You, you don't get by with that, it's, even in 1952. No, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, that was, yeah, you don't get anywhere so near that. So the second night, uh, the jets were scrambled again. Instead of taking off, they stayed. One jet that was trying to chase one of them himself became chased with he had they had several of these objects closing in on him coming in and he was in a panicky voice asking the towel what should i do what do you want me to do in other words i guess you want me to fire at him or you know what dog fight as soon as he made that statement they took off so that's another classic characteristic that is very well documented. Um, so, uh, in any case, um, that that event is uh, from 19, 1952, and of course we didn't have anything in 1952 uh, that was capable of the kind of speeds that these things had. Yeah, uh, which just just didn't happen. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and Al Chop reported on it. He was straightforward about his reporting uh, from the Air Force, for the Air Force. Uh, he even wrote a letter. Uh, he got a letter from, I forget which, which publishing house right off hand, but a major publishing house. I think it was Henry Holt and Company. But anyway asking the Air Force they were getting ready to publish a book or sign a book deal with uh, Major Donald Kehoe, mm-hmm. a major UFO researcher at that time. And uh, so Al Chop answered the letter from Henry Holt and company asking about the their uh, feelings about uh, uh, McDonald because the Air Force, he knew that uh, uh, Kehoe, I said McDonald, Kehoe, that uh, Kehoe was very close to a lot of Air Force personnel, yeah. being an ex-pilot himself, yeah. uh, Marine Corps pilot. Anyway, uh, Al Chop returned a letter, and I wish I had a copy in front of me because it's a it's a great letter. It's, I gained this in my book where he tells, uh, responds to whoever wrote the letter from Henry Holt and company, uh, that uh, in essence, the Air Force considers uh, uh, Major Kehoe a very responsible, uh, very excellent reporter, uh, and they hold him him in their highest regard. Yeah. Uh, the letter went on to say that they were the Air Force is a, was it is advising that we know that Major Kehoe considers this flying saucer issue, as it was called, in uh, we consider that 
or he considers that uh, to be an extraterrestrial presence here and uh, has written about that. We don't deny that possibility, Uh, something to that effect. But uh, anyway, it goes on a little bit more. What happened then was uh, they published, Henry Holt published this book by Kehoe on the back cover, the back jacket of the book. <laughs> they printed the letter from uh, Chop, Al Chop from the Air Force to Henry Holt and company. They put the whole letter on the back. They didn't get permission or anything. Yeah. And I don't think they needed per- per- yeah. permission. As I understand it, all government car- correspondence is public unless it's classified yeah it's is public record in the public domain you can do with it whatever you want yeah um same with photographs yeah. but anyway it's this book it's got a letter from the air force admitting that flying saucers or ufos could be extraterrestrial i know and the quotes it's it's almost it's kind of crazy though, right? Because it's you went into it in your book about the uh, the Air Force's uh, that textbook, right? Chapter thirty three in that textbook about yeah. UFOs and how there's probably four types of different species visiting us, very yeah. nonchalant. And it's the the most insane pieces of evidence often just sit there, and they almost seem like they can't be real because they just they're just hiding right there in the open, right? Like yeah. a, a letter here, a quote there, right? Douglas MacArthur, Douglas effing MacArthur saying, like, I believe we're being visited by craft from other worlds and World War Three will be between interplanetary craft and you set up the Interplanetary Phenomena Committee. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Doolittle was tasked by FDR to go see what the Foo Fighters were over the Pacific. And he said, oh, I guess I believe these are interplanetary craft, not of this planet. Just, but they just, they just... It's almost a beautiful game of counterintelligence. Instead of hiding this, they just leave it there. They don't. And so when you find well, it, you almost think, "How this can't be right?" Because I would have seen this before, right? I agree. I agree with you a hundred percent that there's so many items that are out there for public to see, for the public to see, yeah. uh, and they are quite telling. But nobody's made a real issue of them. Yeah. Uh, they like this letter from the Air Force that was on the back cover of the book. Yeah, uh, those things exist. Um, you just got to look for them and find them. But when you do find them and put them all in a pile, they start making a pretty damn good, uh, solid piece of yeah. of. Uh, uh, start, evidence. Just start painting a picture. Yeah. So, uh, circumstantial evidence still, but a very, very good. And not in some cases, not so circumstantial. Yeah. So, um, there are things like that are out there. Um, we've got to find them. It's, I was going to say also, Larry, feel feel free to swear all you want. I swear like a sailor, and I try to. I've been trying to. To, I've been trying to tone it back because I never know if my my guests do. But I always let the guests take the lead. So if you want to swear, yeah. drop an F bomb. Yeah. You go at it. But I, I keep I keep it to a minimum. Okay. I, uh, okay. I'm working on it. 
it's you know it it doesn't really it doesn't really help the uh, help the matter. No, um, I've been too much. Yeah, except been, to, uh, it's good emphasis when in you need cert, it. In certain instances, it uh, it can play a role. I'm trying. Uh, yeah, I'm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Yeah, it's it's you got to use it effectively. It's a weapon. You got to use it tactically. But yeah. I'm I'm trying to find this. Um, where is it? Truman flying saucers. Hold on. Truman flying saucers. There's a quote from Harry S. Truman. Which, by the way, I don't know if you knew this. Harry S. Truman. His middle name was S. I don't know if you Harry knew S. Truman. Yeah, it was, just, it was just S. It didn't stand for anything. Oh, is that right? It's just. Yeah. Yeah, when he was sworn well, in. Now that, said, you, now that you mention it, I don't ever remember yeah. hearing that middle name either. Yeah, it's Harry S. Truman. When he was sworn in, they said Harry Ship Truman because I think his his uncle's name was Ship, and because no one knew what S stood for, someone just assumed it must be his uncle. Nope. He later clarified. He said, "No, I was just Harry S. Truman. His middle name was S." <laughs> you know, I watched. There's an excellent documentary on Truman. Um. And uh, who's the actor that played Truman in this documentary? Uh, he played Forrest, played in Forrest Gump, uh, the movie Forrest Gump. He was uh, Lieutenant. Oh, Lieutenant Dan. Uh, Lieutenant Dan. Gary. Uh, Gary. Gary Sinise. Yes. Gary Sinise. Yeah, and he did. Um, he did a hell of a good job playing Truman, and. Um, they didn't get into UFOs, but they really did paint a good picture of Truman and, and the and the man he was. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, uh, yeah, he was. I think of all the presidents, Truman and Eisenhower were the two presidents most involved with the UFOs in the issue. in the UFO issue. Yeah. It's. Uh, in fact, you know, I'm a believer in majestic 12 yeah and um i think uh it and if if it is factual which i believe it is truman was the one that set that up yeah and that's hold on i'm, I'm fixing something with my microphone um yeah i was pulling up quotes on my phone i wanted to read some quotes um can you still hear me all right yeah can you hear me all right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. My, my my i thought i thought i heard feedback not important um yeah, Majestic 12 and uh, Counterintelligence. I was thinking James Jesus Angleton. I Because uh, I've heard the name before and I heard it a lot in your book about Majestic 12. Actually, I found a, um, a biographer who wrote a book on James Jesus Angleton and I'm having him on the podcast later this month. And so, I, He's an interesting figure. He was. He's an interesting uh, cat. <laughs> there's one thing... Well... He's interesting from a lot of standpoints. One is most of the people that worked for CIA didn't even know they Angleton yeah, existed. Know. Yeah. The ones that did know existed gave him a wide berth. Yeah. Yeah. He had access to the director's office anytime he wanted. Yeah. Anytime. Uh and uh he uh if the story of JFK's assassination, the burned memo, was at the hands of the CIA, yeah. as per the burned memo, uh, 
Angleton is probably the only man in existence who could have pulled that off. Yeah. Could have directed it. Yeah. Would have been the director. Yeah. And 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 stage manager yeah. of how it of how it happened and how it came down. Yeah. Uh, he was brilliant, yet uh, a bit of a screwball. Yeah. But uh, as a director of counterintelligence for the CIA, which he held a position he held for a number of years, uh, a really long time. I, I don't know the exact years, but I would say something like 20 years and under a number of directors. So uh, he's, a, he's a very interesting, uh, interesting person. He was the the chief of CIA, CIA counterintelligence from '54 to '75, so he was right in the thick of the UFO issue. Well, I was it's 21 years, so yeah. I was uh, I was pretty accurate. You were you were touche, and you know what? He looks exactly like you think he would look like. Yeah, you look at Mr. picture. Yeah, you go. That's Looks what like I, Mr. Peepers. Yeah, you look at him, you go, you know what? That's exactly what I would think the the chief of counterintelligence would look. That's what I thought last week when I looked him up. I go, he looks exactly like I think he would look like. But yeah, he was he was right in the thick of it. And you're right, you mentioned it in your book. And this is something a roommate of mine in college, who's probably the smartest person I've ever met in my life, and uh, I won't I won't divulge any more details. But I mean, brilliant, maybe like uncomfortably intelligent. And uh, I remember, our, yeah, and uh, and uh, he's a very successful physician. And um, but I remember we were our senior year, we we'd always kind of like just make jokes about like how smart he was because I mean it really was eerie. And I remember we'll call him uh, we'll call him Bob. I was like Bob, it's our senior year. You've already gotten into medical school. I was like Bob, you should just go after the JFK assassination because if anyone could figure it out, it would be him. And I was like, what if we just we just bought you like a hundred books and we locked you in your room with a bunch of coffee for a year and just said, figure it out. And uh, I remember he read several books on it. And this guy read like a book a night. And I remember finally like a week later, he was like, you know what I think it is? And I was like, what? And he goes, I don't think it can be figured out because I only think I think only one person in the world ever knew the full plot. And I think that person is gone. And I said, who do you think that is? And he goes, I don't know. He goes, but that's what I, that's what my feeling is, is that only one person ever knew the full plot, the full picture. But that's something that's always stuck with me. He was like, I think it was probably one guy. And I think his, his quote was, I think it was probably one guy who whispered something to someone else in a snowy field in the middle of Pennsylvania in 63. And it was never written down. There's no transcripts. And it's the plot to kill a president. And he goes, but I would imagine only one person ever knew the big picture because if there's a right is it's if three people know a secret the only way it stays a secret if two are dead right it's but now 10 year or seven eight years later reading your book i think yeah that would be angleton right woven into the fat that would fit angleton to a t yeah um just uh it's a perfect match yeah yeah because he could have pulled it off he's the only one as director of counterintelligence for the CIA that could have pulled that pulled that escapade off like it like he did yeah. like he was done yeah um yeah. i um i don't buy the single bullet theory no 
Not at all. Have. Not uh, at all. I think there's too much evidence against it. But uh, I mean, uh, I don't think we'll ever know. No, no, no. I think I think it was probably Angleton, and I think that I don't think it was ever written down. I don't think there's a, a classified transcript somewhere. I think it was in his head, and it died when he died. Yeah. I think it's a loose end that will forever be loose. I don't. Angleton had his operatives. Sure. Uh, and um, they were as clandestine as he was. I imagine uh, was probably in compartmentalized. Their, in their actions. And, and uh, so I, uh, if the story is true, then I would, his, uh, in my opinion, in my mind, his fingerprints are all over it. Yeah. Yeah. It's because you said in your book, you're like what? Who better to who better to pull off something that would have been a counterintelligence nightmare other than the head of counterintelligence, right? Yeah. It's is if so, if there's ever going to be a bank robbery, who better to pull it off than the president of the bank, right? <laughs> you know, right? It's who else is going to pull it off but that guy? It's yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it, it does. Interesting thought. Yeah, it does. It does point to it, and. Well, I just so I'm having on an author this Saturday, Douglas Valentine, who wrote a book called The Phoenix Program, or uh, yeah, yeah, the the CIA's use of terrorism in Vietnam, and I'm only like a chapter or two into it, and just two chapters into it, I now entirely believe that the CIA could have and would have and probably did kill JFK. The stuff they were doing just on a whim, like they wanted they there was one outpost in Vietnam that they wanted evacuated but for whatever reason they didn't want to bomb it they like needed the infrastructure so whereas they'd normally just call in B52s instead they they really wanted it gone but the problem is is they couldn't get these indigenous people to leave who had lived there for you know a thousand generations these people just so happened to be very um sus- uh, suspicious of um not suspicious um what's the right word um superstitious had superstitious beliefs of um, of vampires, of all things. I never would have crossed vampires to Vietnam. But so what they did is they the CIA started a rumor in this like small town that there were vampires, right? Well, okay. And what they would do is they would send out these kill squads, and they would wait for these farmers who would travel on long, long single lines at night, right? Rice farmers or whatever. And they just one by one, you know, they'd walk on these long single trails on these thin on these thin paths. And what they did is they would grab the last guy very quietly, you know, just go up and grab him, they, you know, break his neck or something. And they would take two uh, two knives shaped like teeth and they would prick it in the neck. This is all declassified documents. They'd prick it in the neck, they'd drain, they'd, then they'd hang him up by his feet, drain the blood, and then they'd take the, you know, the pale, gaunt corpse with the two pricks and they would leave it right in the middle of the path. So the, the farmers would come back, you know, after getting back to the village and, hey, where's Bob? And they would go back and they would find who Bob, who was, it seemed to be killed by a vampire. And they, but they, they would do this all the time with all sorts of shit. And I'm just realizing, I'm like, they did that just to win a post in Vietnam? Yeah. If it came down to UFO ET technology, the power to rule the world for the next thousand generations, they would have blown a president's head off without thinking twice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no question. And the CIA has done some. There are some things. They guys, they, they're capable of all sorts of stuff. Also, they've also done some dumb things. Yeah. Uh, I got 
I got a story sure. for you, and I can't remember the book, but it was written by a former CIA agent. And uh, I wish I could remember the name of the book. It was loaned to me, and I had to return it. It was loaned to me by a, a retired CIA operative okay. uh, in photo interpretation. Worked under Arthur Art Lundahl. Okay. But uh, anyway, um, he writes that uh, the CIA wanted to infiltrate the Russian embassy, mm -hmm. I suppose, in Washington. So they devised a plan to put a radio transmitter in a dog. So they planted this radio transmitter, ran a wire up its tail, in its tail, yeah, as an antenna, see? Yeah. They spent a million dollars on this operation. They had a van all equipped with this this equipment like you see in all the mystery programs and all, you know, yeah. with all this listening gear inside. And their plan was to take the dog and and they were also training the dog and to do various things as per commanded mm -hmm. by radio mm -hmm. to it. So it was they, it was a receiver and a transmitter. <laughs> so they said, well, before we put this into this plan into operation, let's run it. a test. Yeah. So they went out somewhere. New York. Huh? New York. Was it? Yeah. You heard the story? I know of it. Keep telling it. It's a great story. Keep telling so it. They, they go out. They park the van somewhere, wherever it was, let the dog loose, guiding it. Dog walks across the street, and the damn truck comes along, runs over it, and kills the dog. Yeah, <laughs> just like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, that was a million-dollar effort. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. You know. Yeah, it's I've, I've yeah I don't I don't know yeah there's a there's another book called Nuking the Moon and other plans that stayed on the drawing board that's the name of the book and it's um that that's the opening story is uh is the uh it's acoustic canine or acoustic kitty whatever it was but yeah, yeah. There's a million but this was in the fifties and yeah they used which is insane but they used yeah they they performed surgery and they put wires in it to where they could give the animal directions. Yeah. via impulses from a radio in a van in the 50s but um yeah i mean it's just and that's like the lower level stuff right yeah. it's but that just says yeah that is the sometimes they do stupid stuff well they yeah. you know I'm, I'm, the cia has like you say lower level and they got the, these guys that dream up all of the strange oh, yeah. stuff you know sometimes it works sometimes it does yeah but, and uh, but this was a case where it didn't. So I guess uh, to try and fail is never is better than never try at all. So yeah, there, there's a take. there's another story from that book, and it's about how the Russians gifted uh, or the Soviets gifted us a painting, this huge oil painting in one of our embassies, and they had put in something made of plastic, not metal, so it wouldn't show up in any scanning. And uh, it was a little tiny recording device, and it was powered by these like microscopic, almost like a, I don't know what what's the right word, 
these like these like kinetic like drivers and pushers this piezoelectric things that just from the vibration of uh the vibration of the building itself settling into the foundation so i mean you got to think just like a nanometer here and there it would push these little like thing it was a little tiny uh microscopic generator and that's what kept this thing powered but it was a little like the size of like a wafer put in this like because think of like a thick oil painting how it almost seems mm-hmm. right it's almost yeah. topographical it's got like chunks in it to put it yeah. in there and they left it in the u.s embassy and it's like it was like a soviet like it was like an intelligence coup for like eight years we had no idea where the leak was coming from but they were listening <clears> to us through a painting i'll be done yeah I know that story. that's another i'll send that book to you as well it's called nuking the moon by uh, dr vince Hofton or Hofton H O U G H H O U G H T O N. Right now he's the curator of the National Spy Museum, and I'm this close to getting him on the podcast. I've been trying for a while. But point being, we went off on a bit of a, a tangent there. UFOs is yeah. if they're willing to do that, if they're willing to do that in the Phoenix program, yeah. I mean, if they're willing yeah. to, to run drugs over the border, yeah. If they're uh, you know Sandinistas. I I think entirely that's what this is, and I I I had never thought about it until your book. I think that's what Eisenhower was warning us about. It wasn't just the military-industrial complex building saber fighter jets and Sherman tanks. I think it was that power source. Um, well, yeah. he could see yeah. Truman intended for the executive branch, yeah. the White House. Yeah. To control all things UFO, yeah. all things flying saucers. Yeah. That was his that was his directive, I think, when he set up Majestic Twelve. Uh the the Majestic Twelve group. Um so that was his intent. Eisenhower comes into office and he steps into this whole flying saucer UFO issue although i think he knew something of it as supreme allied commander so do i Uh, but uh anyway he's in it but he sees what's happening that the the over eisenhower's eight years in office the people that were very darkly involved in ufo matters were gaining a lot of power and there was a lot of money involved in it. It was the outside contractors that were being involved in this, given debris to study. Um, even though the people that studied it didn't know what they were studying, yeah. really, their superiors did. But uh, it was, you know, it was compartmentalized. But anyway, they were these people were becoming so powerful because of this because of the ufo issue and their involvement in it and the fact that they were they had the most of the secrets anyway they knew so they were right in the mix they were taking power away from the executive branch this is what eisenhower saw happening and this is what he warned about Mm. in a very general manner um i don't think there's any question about that yeah i don't um so i i think you're i think you're entirely right i mean 
if you look at even in World War II, um, oh, we talked about Patton last time. I might be getting that's another story. There's yeah that that uh, that's uh, that's for another topic. Um, but if you look at World War II, I mean, even amongst the upper echelons of the military command, you can see that there were in the know and not in the know. I mean, Patton, you know, Patton being told to do this, that, and the other thing, and not being told why. MacArthur, not knowing about the A bomb until I think the day before, and even then, he was fed misinformation because he leaked to the press that there was going to be something big happening coming this September, and then it happened the next day. So FDR, um, General Groves, and whoever else was in at the very upper echelon, they gave him false information because he was getting ready for Operation uh, Olympic to invade mainland Japan. But Eisenhower was in the know about the A-bomb, and that makes me think that he was in the know of the extraterrestrial issue. I think that if he was held in higher, because Patton and MacArthur weren't told about the A-bomb. Patton wasn't told anything. MacArthur was given disinformation, but Eisenhower knew. That just tells me that Eisenhower was, I mean, he was in the upper, the innermost circle, which would make me think that Eisenhower knew entire, all about the UFO issue. And Eisenhower's not stupid. He wasn't a politician. He was already a five-star general, a supreme commander. He led the largest amphibious invasion in the history of man. I think he saw exactly what it was, and it's what we've talked about. It's not the it's not the philosophical implications. It's not that it's going to dissolve religion like Churchill was uh, worried about. I think he saw it as a weapon, an advanced material, and understood what it was. But then, yeah, saw it slipping away out of his fingertips. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's uh, I think that's true, and I think that's exactly where that statement was aimed. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, well, when I was writing the book, I was torn about one thing of putting, of putting my own UFO sighting in the book. Mm-hmm. I, uh, simply because if you are writing about UFOs, I think it's best that you be a researcher that hasn't seen one. Although uh, I think Jim McDonald, Dr. Jim McDonald, uh, got into UFO research because he had seen one in mm-hmm. Arizona before he worked. And uh, but anyway, it was it really troubled me. I wanted to put it in, but I didn't. Now. The fact that I was interested in UFOs starting around 1960, mm-hmm. and when I had my event, saw my event, it was like 1995. Mm-hmm. So I figured that people certainly would think that uh, I didn't wait all those years to make up a UFO story. Yeah. And quite frankly, it's not that it's not that sexy of a UFO story. Yeah. But yet, uh, I think it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, very simply, you want me to? I was going to say, would you mind going into? Do you care if I run to the restroom for thirty seconds? No, and no. Come back? Help yourself. Help yourself. All right, Larry. Monologue. Monologue for thirty seconds. Yeah. No problem. 
Uh, I hope you all are enjoying the discussion. I will do a little crass advertising where he's gone. This is my book, uh, The Presidents and UFOs, Secret History from FDR to Obama. And it, the foreword was written by my friend Stanton Friedman, who is uh, no longer with us, uh, passed away, I guess, two years ago now uh, of a heart attack uh, while returning from a speaking engagement. Uh, but anyway, the book is available. It's available from Amazon or bookstores. Yeah, most bookstores would have to order. It wouldn't be in stock uh, in their inventory now. But uh, it is available, and uh, you can get it uh, from Amazon. Uh, so, uh, so much for that. The uh, my own UFO story um, took place in uh, in nineteen. 95 and i think that date is is accurate in the winter of 1995 i at the time i had a home uh on a tidal saltwater creek off the great wicomical river which flowed into the chesapeake bay between the potomac river to the north and the rappahannock river to the south um beautiful river um really very pristine um very few homes built there no homes really well two or three built on this creek that i lived on balls creek um my home was built on the side of a sloping or hillside uh, that surrounded this entire creek, sloping hills surrounded the creek, and they were pretty high um, to the point that um, local boat builder, yacht builder, custom yacht builder, and uh, hurricane season, if a hurricane was approaching, they'd bring their yachts that they were working on uh, uh, and bring them up to this um, hurricane hole Mm. because it was very protective from winds in any case the house was my house was uh, one story in the front two stories on the back with a very 12 foot wide by uh, length that extended the full length of my house which was about 60 feet I think I was in my downstairs office which had a big had a like a seven foot casement window uh, with a fixed big fixed window and two casements on the on the either side and I, my desk was right there and I was sitting at my desk and, and uh, looking out over the creek uh, because there were a bunch of little magansas, little diving ducks, pretty little ducks that were must have been a thousand of them they were on the creek just swimming around on the creek and I was watching them dive down and uh, actually I'd thrown some corn into <laughs> in the water and that would draw that drew them there and it was fun to sit there and watch them dive for yeah. you know these uh, yeah. kernels of corn yeah anyway what caused my attention 
got my attention was across the creek from me um, was a cove. Actually, to my left was a piece of land that formed a point that when you came into the creek by boat, you had to go around this point, circle around it, and then come, Then when you cleared the point, you were looking at my house back, you know, mm-hmm. away. And as I sat there, the, the cove was the one place that the high banks dropped down to form a cove, which was on the other side of the point that you came around in the dead center of this cove was a large tree i think it was an oak tree which was sort of unusual that close to the water i think but maybe not and a lot of pines and that type of stuff because pines are really very common in that area in eastern virginia or in virginia um so i was looking at these ducks and my attention was drawn to two birds very large birds that were circling over top of this tree in a very tight very tight spiral and i thought gee it looks like they're caught in a thermal or something that did just so so tight such a tight circle and that you know, caught my attention. It was unusual. Um, all of a sudden, I noticed below them in the top of this tree. Now, this was dead winter, so there were no leaves on the tree to speak of. But it was so dense. It was such a big tree, and it was so dense with limbs that you couldn't see inside of it anyway. Except I noticed uh, what I call a frantic rustling in the top of this tree. Well, your mind is a computer, and it you when you see something you don't understand, you immediately try to figure it out, what you're looking at, what I'm seeing. And the first thought that popped into my mind was those two birds were circling over that tree because of another bird was down in that tree and was trying to get out of the tree, but couldn't because it probably on its talon had gotten fishing line hung in the talon, which was fairly common there. That fishermen could be irresponsible and throw tangled fishing line overboard and birds would dive at him. And I think these were offsprays. And uh, you'd see them get tangled. I've, I've been out on the bay trolling and had seagulls drop, drop down in my lure, try to pick my lure up out of the water. But anyway, that was instantaneous. That was an instantaneous thought that that's what the birds were flying over top of this other gull that was caught in the tree. Well, the next instant after this rustling stopped an object rose out of the top of that tree when i first saw it when it first came out of the top of the tree i thought it was a mylar party balloon because it was silver in color yeah now i can't explain 
this part of the story. When I first saw it, it appeared I thought of a Mylar party balloon. But I quickly realized that at that distance, which was probably a third of a mile, that one of those Mylar balloons would be so tiny, it would yeah. just be a speck, yeah. that this object was larger. Not real large, but I would say three to three and a half feet across and uh, vertically probably four to four and a half feet. It was teardrop shape or inverted teardrop shape. Now, the best explanation is it looked like a small hot air balloon without a gondola under it. Okay. So okay. that's that's what it looked like. Next thought comes to my mind is this is a weather balloon that uh, went away. Went, I don't know, something happened to a weather balloon and yeah. it crashed there. But weather balloons don't land and take off again. Yeah. That didn't that didn't make sense. So yeah. I'm watching this thing and it did seem to float in a very sure. tight movement. So um I was still thinking balloon. As it rose out of the top of the tree and the cove it went on up to a uh, where the tree lines were on top of the banks in other words this cove was didn't have a bank yeah. it was low to the near the water the balloon went up and it seemed to me when it cleared the top of the tree line it started moving laterally to my right or west, if you will. And I thought, well, the wind has caught this balloon and is shoving it uh, to the west, to laterally. And I thought later, after anal after this event was over with, I thought later uh, that that couldn't be the case because uh, it was a crystal clear 3 p.m. or so winter afternoon. And where I live, where I lived at that time on the Chesapeake Bay, crystal clear days, the wind didn't blow out of the east. That The wind would have had to have been blowing out of the east toward the west. Uh, if that was the case, it would be cloudy. Yeah. Because it would, the wind would blow right off the bay and right off the ocean, yeah. and it would bring in cloudiness. Yeah. It had to be where we had, when we have crystal clear days, when we have them in Virginia, the wind is from the northwest, west, northwest, always. Yeah. Um, because typically a cold front has come through and cleared everything out. Yeah. Anyway, as I watched this balloon, and I should mention that the one thing that I found intriguing uh, before what just is going to happen was that it was rotating on a vertical axis. Okay. As it rose, it was rotating vertically on a vertical axis. As I watched it, all of a sudden, a beam of light shot off of it like the sun, just 
as bright as you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Just for a second and went out. Now that stunned me. Now I'm getting a little nervous yeah. now. Yeah. It goes on, floating on. Another thing to to remember here is it was not rising anymore. It was going perfectly lateral. If it was a balloon and it had gotten into air currents, it would still be rising as it was going, you know, yeah. uh, sideways. But it would still be rising. But now this was going totally lateral. Then the light came, hit again. Just for a brief second, it flashed on. And it, it was my impression right or wrong that it was aimed at me now that that may be that just in my mind you know i thought that that may not be the case at all but yeah. that's what i thought yeah. this was a very brilliant flash yeah. then it happened a third time um when it happened a third time uh i had had enough i ran up stairs up to the main floor in our great room I had a wet bar and I had binoculars on the wet bar and I ran out onto this deck that I mentioned but it was gone now I can't fill in the blanks after that it was whether it shot away uh, at some incredible speed or whether it just uh, why it vanished, I don't know. I'd been watching it for oh, I guess a couple of minutes. Yeah, and it it should have still been there, but it wasn't. So to summarize, after sitting down, oh, the funny thing is, I never thought UFO. Yeah, there's so many military bases. Yeah around me uh, including Patuxent River Naval Air Station which is only about 25 miles as the crow flies up the Potomac River that's that's the Navy's chief uh, test flight uh, operation just like Edwards Air Force Base is for the uh, uh, for the Air Force uh, then you've got Norfolk which is 80 miles uh, south of me which has more, North, the Norfolk area had more military installations than you could take a stick at, yeah. including uh, Norfolk Naval Base, yeah. uh, which is one of the finest naval bases in the world. Yeah. Uh, Air Force, uh, uh, Navy, uh, uh, planes, uh, just everything. I mean, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, everything is, is in that area. So I thought, well, what it could be is some uh, military operation, some piece of military equipment, because that I was thinking that that flash, the flash was being reflected back to me from the setting sun, which was at three o'clock in the afternoon, would be fairly low on the western horizon. Uh, and I thought, well, it's maybe it's got some highly polished uh, panel on it yeah. that's causing this reflect, that's reflecting the sun. And it was that bright. 
but uh, in thinking back on it, I, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Everything about this really uh, doesn't make a doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, rotating on a vertical axis, flashes of light coming off of this object. The reason I really didn't think UFO at the time was it didn't fit the UFO profile yeah. that I was familiar with then. I am now. Yeah. That they come in all shapes and sizes and these small UFO objects, even the size of a basketball have been noted and seen by pilots and by, you know. Yeah. So they are quite prevalent. These small odd shaped objects are quite prevalent um was it an extraterrestrial craft i don't know i really uh, it's an unknown to me and had i been smart i would have picked up the phone and called public information at Tuxen river yeah naval air station and told them what i had seen yeah uh and asked them if it belong to them yeah uh of course i didn't like you know now uh nowadays i know that anybody that has a sighting ought to report it yeah i mean it, it ought to be reported to somebody yeah and uh i really regret not not doing that um as far as the two birds were concerned i now think back and they were probably caught in a thermal. This thing was probably giving off heat. something, heat or yeah. something. And these birds were there uh, flying in it, caught in it or enjoying it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and I don't know what happened to the birds. After I saw that, I didn't really care. Yeah. Uh, but, like I said, that's not a really very sexy sighting. But yet, it's one that I can't explain. Yeah. And uh, I certainly have never seen anything like it. And this was in broad daylight, well-defined, uh, as, as well as it could be, uh, being, uh, uh, I guess, about uh, three-quarters, half a mile to three-quarters of a mile away from it. Yeah. Uh, Maybe not that much. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a real big creek, very deep creek, but not a real big one. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that's my UFO story. And I did relate it in the book. Um, I, I, I am confident now that the device, whatever it was, ours, somebody else's, or, not of this world it was controlled i don't yeah. think there's any question about it it was a controlled device um so uh, you can uh, draw your own conclusions yeah and it's and it's there's a oh, thank you for sharing that because as you mentioned in your book it's um you know it's often like like I mean like the <clears throat> kind of the accepted idea is that 95% of UFO sightings can be explained away 
and there's the remaining 5%. And the fallacy is that people often believe that, oh, if you just examine those last five a little more, you'll be able to figure those out. And it's often that's not the case at all. Those last five are ones that are very credible, and that's why they can't be ruled out. And for every UFO sighting reported, so what I just said is regarding uh, reported UFO stories. So out of every 195 can be explained away. Well, it's thought that for every reported UFO story, there are nine more that aren't reported. Yeah. And it's... That's, Unfortunately. Yeah, and it's important because if it's 5% could be credible, well, now you got to multiply that 5 by a factor of 10 in terms of gross numbers, right? Not percentage, but gro- or percentage, not gross numbers. And, um, or vice versa, I'm tired. It's, but there's a stigma against talking about it because, kind of like what John Callahan says, you know, if you tell a UFO story, people think that you ain't wrapped too tight. And it's... But that's an unfortunate thing, and that's that's why I love Phoenix Lights with Dr. Lynn Katai and her husband. They're both physicians, and they reported this. And they're saying, you know, and she says in the documentary, look, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm a medical professional. Like, I have an MD. I am a, you know, yeah, all humility aside, I'm an intelligent person, right? She goes, I still don't know what this is. I mean, Fife Symington, the governor, former Air Force pilot, said, he goes, I think this is an alien craft. I had on my friend JP episode it's the episode i sent you um it's one of the early episodes but he worked on mq9 reapers and predators the drones out in i think new mexico for several years and he talks about driving home and seeing like a brilliant light in out in the middle of the desert where you can see everything at night and he goes i remember pulling over and watching it and he goes i was just watching this thing he goes and then it just after a couple minutes just shot across the sky this is a guy that worked on classified Air Force programs. Like, this isn't like an idiot. Like, oh, I saw a shooting star. And and all, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in and I'm going to take the episode that I sent to you where I tell my UFO sighting and I'm going to splice that out and I'm going to insert at the end of this video because I go into very in-depth detail and uh, because I stayed up watching the election last night, I'm exhausted and I, and I fear that I won't be able to tell it again in the same detail and enthusiasm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tag it at the end of this video. But I will give a quick rundown. Very long story short, in college, I was pre-med and I studied all day, every day, and I could study for about 90 minutes before I needed to take a break and kind of recalibrate my mind. And that's how I discovered meditation, is I would breathe and breathe quietly for 20 or 30 minutes, and my mind kind of calmed down. And as someone that's lifted weights for most of my life, I compare it to, it's just you're taking a break from the muscle, let it get some power back, and then you go back at it. This was never like a spiritual endeavor, although it has now turned into one. It began simply as, I wanted straight A's, I wanted to study more, and to me, I looked at not me- I looked at meditating as a tool to study longer and to get better grades. It was purely it was purely tactical. I just wanted I wanted to kill the competition. Yeah. So I would and again in college, being pre med and really being kind of addicted to it, I I drank maybe once a semester. I smoked pot maybe once a semester. So unlike most people my age in that college town, I was very very rarely intoxicated and when i was it would be about six months before i was intoxicated again exercised every morning was always sleeping well always studying so i was very had a very clear mind kind of in an in in an anomalous way and one thing i would always do i'm a a creature of habit as we all are but i mean really to an ocd extent i am and I would always meditate, or I'd, I'd wake up, I'd work out, I'd meditate, study for 90 minutes, meditate, and I would do that whole cycle five or six times in a day. 
So I'd meditate several times a day. I would always meditate. I can... 183 Mandy Drive, Athens, Georgia, 30601. You can literally go find that house. <laughs> and I can go up the stairs. Left, two bedrooms, left. Mine's facing front. So I can go back and find... So whoever's listening, if you're in Athens, Georgia, at UGA, that's my room. But I had my bed in the same spot and every day. Meditate multiple times a day. Put my pillow down. And I'd sit Indian style. And I'd do some breathing exercises. And I'd always look out the window. And it was right at the kind of the same angle. And did that every single day 30 minutes five times a day so i mean two and a half hours a day you know what kind of crazy person stares at the same window two and a half hours a day me all right and and i noted details every day not intentionally but you would just you'd almost start to learn the stars right it's like seeing strangers on like a subway you almost start to get to know these strangers even though you guys never know each other you just start to recognize them right maybe cashiers at walmart you start to you never talk to them but you know each other well i kind of started to get to know these i I knew these certain stars would you know i knew this one came over the 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 uh the gutter i know this one would this one would come up over the pine trees i knew that later on in the night these three ones would come up over the blue house over there and it was just that's how I could gauge how long I was meditating because he was sort of sinking to this rhythm. And it was almost kind of like in ancient times, this was my clock. I could be like, oh, shit, you know, that star's up. It's time to go, right? Again, like a normal 21-year-old, you know, everyone else is yeah. drinking, watching football, and I'm meditating, watching the stars. But the importance is, is I would get to know the night sky. And obviously, as the year would go on, and the earth shifts you would start to see oh look that one's coming up over here now but the point is is that happened very very slowly you know the year would go on and this you know they would change but it's very very slowly mm-hmm. well as and obviously you know this because you watched the video but one night i was meditating and i saw something very 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 bright and brilliant and obviously as the as the earth rotates and the sun goes down and the light in the sky starts to turn you know dark red brilliant gold and everything then you can see the stars kind of coming in as it turns from like these hues of red and like blood orange down to like navy blue and black obviously the gradient the gradation of stars becomes more and more clear as i saw these you know you see the first stars start to kind of prick up and appear and i was meditating i remember seeing one that was like fairly bright just kind of like dazzling i didn't really think anything of it i was just like oh it's start to start stars twinkle right You're, we're looking through miles of atmosphere there's 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 a there's was it effusion or diffusion refraction of light this kind of sprinkle and twinkle and i knew that happened all the time right that's why stars twinkle at night but this one was i mean getting and i think the way i described it is is you know how like the sun almost doesn't have like obviously if we look at deep space photos of the sun we know it has color but if you go outside, I don't recommend it, go up and look at the sun. The sun doesn't really have a color, right? It's just bright. It's just yeah. dialed up to 100. It's kind of like a nice, I think the analogy I used is, it's kind of like a nice ice cold cup of water. It doesn't really have taste. It just has, it's just fluid. It's just, it's right. It's obviously if you go to a different area, different areas have different taste of water. But you get one. It's not a Coke. It's not a whiskey. It's, it's just, right. it's just water. This was that, is it didn't have a color. It was just that sort of brilliant, just kind of, you know, you look at it once and it almost kind of burns in your eye. And I didn't think anything, I was like, I was like, damn, you know, 
and I kept meditating and meditating and I think something I'm, I'm closing my eyes again I must have thought I was like man that's a bright star but then I thought like but most of the sky is still red well I shouldn't be able to see something that bright and I remember looking at it again and this would happen sometimes whereas the sun goes down it's kind of like if you ever go to a big city New York the sun goes over the horizon but you can still see the top of the Empire State Building's lit up well it's you know because the light's still bending over so you would see a lot these kind of weird anomalies where it seemed like it was dark but then you'd see a bright plane and it's because it's five miles up the light's dancing off the aluminum fuselage all right fair enough but i saw this and i was like that's what it must be then again didn't really think anything of it and but as like the minutes would go by and my friendly little stars would start to go behind trees other ones would appear over the gutter and you know i'm seeing them come down from the window and this and it's getting darker and darker this one's still there I was like, okay, that's okay. Well, that's not a star. Okay, a little weird. And my first thought was like, oh man, is this a supernova? Well, there are seventy supernova per, se- or it's only thirty, seventy or thirty uh, supernova per second in the observable universe. But we know how big the universe is. The chance of you seeing one is very small. And if you did see one, it's probably lights out for the Earth. But I saw this one just. It kept getting bright, and then it kind of dimmed away, which led me to believe that okay that was a plane and it was ca- it was catching the sun rays and now it just the sun dipped over the horizon whatever kept meditating and sometimes i would meditate not for 10 or 20 minutes but an hour this is one of the ones where i was just going longer and i kind of again th- like you said i was never oh a ufo i'm telling this story in hindsight at the time it was just that was a thing i saw but it was if you've ever meditated that was no more of a different thing than a dog barking. You hear a noise and your mind gets tracked on it, but like meditation, no, you go back to the breath. You just, it's like bubble or it's like waves coming out of the ocean. You ignore the waves and focus on the ocean because that's meditation. You hear a dog barking, you hear someone call your name, your phone rings, and you just let it rise, let it fall. So that's what it was. It was just, this is just another thing. And I remember I kept looking at it and something finally must have jogged my memory because I was like, or not my memory just kind of jogged me out of my sleepiness if you will i was like well well, well, why i was like why is that still there because now i'm watching my little star friends go over the horizon and other ones but this one's still there and i'm like oh that you know again never once thinking ufo i was like oh that must be that must be a helicopter or something bright light downtown i don't know maybe they have a spotlight on something it's georgia it's uga big game day right and i saw that and i was like okay and then it started to dim and again, it's like you, it's like your story. It's not a sexy story. So anyone waiting for the little green men, they're not coming. But it would dim. And I'd be like, ah, okay, it's going away. Whatever the thing was. My rational mind is happy. It went away. But then it would come back. Bright, 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 really bright, brilliant, kind of what the fuck is in, excuse me. And it would go back away. And I was like, okay. And my mind was still, okay, not, it's not a supernova. It's not. It can't be a plane because it's... Maybe it was a plane, but now it's been like 35, 40 minutes. It doesn't matter how far away on the horizon it is. That's not coming at me. Oh, fine, please. No, yeah, no. It's. I was like, okay, you know, maybe if that was for a couple minutes and I saw it head on, it would appear to be stationary, but then you'd streak over your head. All right, no. This keeps going and going and going. Well, now this has totally taken my attention away from meditation and from any schoolwork I was going to do. Because now I'm like, and mind you, at this point in my life, I had been and would still be for several more years a very militant atheist and materialist everything is science break it down into electrons and quarks and gluons if it cannot be explained with an equation it's all in your mind get off the drugs hippie 
that's who I was at the time. So that also needs to be brought up is I wasn't this, oh, this is the universe talking to me. I was as hardcore, no, it's matter and energy and nothing else. So that's who I was at the time. So I'm what you could almost say I had that debunking mentality as I'm watching this thing. And now, but now it's been like 50 minutes now, like the entire stars have changed. My, my late night star friends are coming out and this is still in the same exact spot. So now it can't be a plane. It can't be the sun catching rays because the sun's long gone now. And not only that, the actual backdrop of stars are now changing behind it and it's not moving, but it is pulsing. So now I have no idea what's going on. And I'm still on my helicopter, but I was like, what? I don't know what it would be. And it's pulsing on and on. It's been an hour. I have no idea what's going on. And then just when I'm about to just go, whatever, it's got to be a a drone, whatever, is it gets really dim, really bright one last time. And then it starts to look like it's coming very slowly at me as if it was a commercial flight about the same speed you would imagine seeing a head-on flight. You're like, all right, you see it coming slowly. And it's almost like if you watch those videos of like uh, bombers when they fly over football games, you see the video. For 90% of the video, it doesn't look like it's moving because it's coming directly at you, and then you see it go over. Well, now I'm like, this thing's coming, and now my heart's kind of like, and I'm like, I'm going to see this. But my rational mind is still just reeling for an explanation. And I'm like, no one's ever going to believe me. They already think I'm crazy. And for probably good reason. Everyone else is out chasing tail and drinking, and I'm the loser upstairs on a Friday night meditating, right? It's For good reason, they already think I'm insane. And this podcast certainly isn't helping my argument against it. But I remember walking downstairs because I was like, I need to go outside and look at this thing. And I go downstairs, and I see my roommate Chance. And Chance is there, and Chance would always watch the dumbest shows, like the Kardashians or, you know, like Real Housewives. And Chance is sitting there just... And I, I walk downstairs... And Chance doesn't believe in any of this shit either. And I go, Chance, there's a goddamn UFO outside. And Chance stands up and he goes, let's go look at it, man. And I was like, fuck yeah, Chance. And we walk outside, and I'm saying the actual transcript, fuck yeah, Chance. We walk outside, and we see this thing, and it's, it's, again, it's pulsing, but you can very slowly tell it's coming towards us. So this is now like a minute of it just pulsing. I go, Chance, what is that? And he goes, I have no idea, man. He goes, what in the hell is that thing? And I go, it's pulsing, and it's and it's coming. I go, is that coming at us? He goes, it's coming at us. And we're watching it, we're watching it, and it finally pulses all the way down to, but now it's coming close enough that it's maybe 10 seconds away, and it's dark out now. And you, But you can now see the object. So the light completely disappears, but you can still see the object coming, right? This It, it almost kind of looked like flat diamond-ish. It looked like it was at a couple thousand feet. I mine out, the way I explain it is, is it looks... It looks like a plane that's like 30 seconds into taking off. Think of taking off, you're looking out the window and you're going up and maybe 30 seconds in. So a mile, I don't know, two miles tops. And this thing is coming in, and Chance and I are both speechless. Mind you, Chance and I, aside from the fact that we live together, that's about the most our lives intersected in terms of interests and hobbies. And so this isn't like we're both like, oh, you know, we're just both watching this thing just quiet. We're just staring at this thing. It's not making a noise. And on the bottom, it almost looked like you you couldn't see it, but you can almost imagine that it had to have been uh, like a, almost like a platter with a red light and a blue light. And it was just nothing crazy, but it wasn't on the wingtips. It was just turning on the bottom in this big black mass 
you know, was it only at 5,000 feet? And in which case it looked like it was probably the size of, I mean, it was big, like a 737. Or if this thing was at 50,000 feet, then this thing was the size of an aircraft carrier. Point is, is this big black mat, much like the Phoenix Lights, the stars behind it were twinkling off as this thing blotted them out. And if you've ever been to an air show or just go YouTube and watch the supersonic flyby, it's a very weird thing because you, the plane goes by and then shh, boom, right? The huge sound, uh, the, the breaking of the sound barrier. But there's that very odd where you see this object going by with no sound. And it's that odd, like, just sort of phenomena before the sound catches up. Well, that's what this sensation was, is this thing went over, and I don't mean, like, quiet, I mean nothing. You could hear, like, a bird chirping, you hear the cicadas, just And we look at this thing, and it goes over, and no sound, com no sound comes with it, and it goes over the trees, and it's gone. Chance and I run inside, we run up to the second floor, we try to look over, it's gone. And we both stare at each other. And I go, Chance, no one's ever going to believe us. And he goes, I'm never telling this story. And I had never told that story. This was, so this is like early, early 2012. I didn't tell this story until about February of this year on this podcast. This is now the second time I've told that story. Because it sounds insane. Who's going to believe you? But you get to a point where you're like, I would now be less credible if I didn't tell this story because I would be lying to myself. But I know this happened. Chance saw it with me. Bright as the morning sun, just on and off for an hour, hovering, no noise, light disappears, big black craft goes over us without a sound, corroborating witness. I, whether or not Chance was sober, I don't know. I was. And I never told that story to anyone because I just thought, almost what John Callahan said, I'm like, who are you going to tell? Like, you ain't wrapped too tight. <laughs> and that's my fear. But you told yours in your book, so I figured I would tell mine. And when I told that story, the guy I had on the podcast, JP, who was friends with my older brother, that's when he told his. He goes, I've never told anyone mine. That's when he told me his desert story of being out there and just... And this is a guy, again, who worked on MQ-9 Reapers and Predators. He knows all... He knows what things look like. He worked on the uh, the, the, the camera spotter. So he, he knows all about what this is and what this isn't and when to fire a Hellfire missile. And he goes, I saw something. And he goes, sitting there and then over the horizon like nothing. And he goes, who do you tell? Who do you, who do you tell? But... It makes me think that if more people do tell their stories, that I think we're going to get closer to the truth. What that truth is, I don't know. And you know what? Again, what I saw, do I think it was extraterrestrial? I actually don't. I think it was military. I think it was, I don't know what it was, but I think it was military. It's um, because it didn't do any darting motion. And that would, that would, if it had just darted across the sky, I would have thought that was extraterrestrial. But this wasn't. Now, what it is, I don't know. But, you know, I think Commander Fravor really did the UFO world a lot of justice telling his story on Joe Rogan. Because I now feel don't, I, I now don't feel so crazy telling, telling my story about what happened. Because that's what I know what happened. And I don't know what it was. I think it was a military craft. What military craft is silent? Who knows? Maybe they're working on some cloaking technology. But hey, you drive 10 minutes in any direction in Athens, Georgia, and you are out in the boondocks in the middle of nowhere. Not a bad place to go test a craft. 
because 99% of people reporting it are going to be, you know, Bubba out in the swamp with a six pack going, I saw a UFO. Like, you can write it off. <clears throat> hey, man, it's, and like I said, Athens, Georgia, in a college town, I guarantee you 99% of the people there on any given night were hammered drunk. I was, and I just so happened to have a unique, I happened to be a unique, um, uh, example or a scenario of someone who just so happened to have been staring out the same window several times a day for an hour or two hours a day for hundreds of days on end. It's a very. Did you say this was Athens, Georgia? Athens, Georgia, yes, sir. University of Georgia. Where is Athens, Georgia? Is about ninety minutes east of Atlanta. East. Toward the ocean? Yeah, I think so. I should really know that. I lived there for a while. We'll look it up in a map. <laughs> uh, well, regardless, uh, Georgia has a lot of... I mean, you think of Georgia, you think of Atlanta, and you think of other cities, but Georgia has a lot of wooded land. Wooded, a I mean... Ton. A ton. I went to school for two years in Valdosta, Georgia, way down south. That's seven hours of nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, when I was working as a military sales rep, I went to uh, Fort Benning mm -hmm. uh, a number of times. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that's, let's see, what, what town is Benning near? Darn, I don't remember I went there enough. But anyway, it's, uh, <laughs> that's why Benning's where it is. It's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, you got, <laughs> that's what they do. I think Benning's a armor school, I believe. All but right. uh, anyway. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. Uh, that's a very interesting story. I, uh, when I was reading it in the book, I must not have read. I, I don't remember reading that it came over you. Oh yeah, no, I said it in the yeah the video I sent you. Yeah, that's at the very end. I said it went right over. Oh okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, which sounds a great deal like, except for the timing of it, it sounds a lot like the Phoenix Light story. Yeah, a lot, yeah. a lot smaller. I don't think this thing was a mile wide. But yeah, it was small. It, it was large. Oh, that's right. You said it was like a seven thirty-seven. Yeah, it was large, but it wasn't. It wasn't newspaper. Hold it up. It, it, yeah. it was, but it wasn't gargantuan. But silent, black, just relatively slow. Definitely not the speed of a seven. It wasn't. It was. Yeah. Just. Well, it could have been. Uh, uh, typically, I think that most uh, military craft that are still classified usually fly in uh, Nevada. Re uh, well, re restricted airspace. You know, off of off of Virginia, North Carolina, there's restric uh, restricted airspace uh, that you're not no fly zone. Mm -hmm. um, where I think the Navy fly uses it, that airspace a lot to test their 
testing when they're testing their jets. Uh, but and then off of Florida, there's uh, there's restricted airspace on both sides of the peninsula. Uh, I don't know exactly where, but it's you know Florida's got a lot of military also. Yeah. Uh, especially uh, Navy and Air Force. But uh, just a funny side light to my story. Yeah. My wife um, was uh, uh, visiting her father uh, who was in a nursing home in Richmond. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't at home. And uh, I knew she'd be back soon because she didn't like to drive after dark. But uh, uh, anyway, when she came back, and uh, I heard somebody knocking on the door. So I went up and it was her. And she said, what in the world you got the house locked up for? I said, uh, well, I'll tell you a story in a little while. Get yourself settled. And I'm sort of embarrassed to say that, but yeah. I, I did go around and lock all the Absolutely. doors. Absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, it's, I was, yeah. at that point, I was unnerved by what I'd seen. And I think, and yeah. I think uh, thoughts of UFO-related something were starting to come into my mind then. Yeah. Um, I'm still figuring that it was military, but uh, that that was sort of going away because I... Uh, anyway, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It could have been. It, it yeah. certainly could have been something the military was doing, but something landing in the top of a tree and then taking off again and it looks like a balloon but balloons don't usually land and take off again yeah, it, you know it's uh so i don't know but yeah. that's enough enough beating on that story that's, yeah uh, it's you know i think if i had been out in like the middle of nowhere by myself i think i probably would have been spooked but it was i mean i was in a town full of people pretty densely populated college town and roommate was home so it never spooked me. And again, it didn't happen until I walked downstairs that I kind of just set off the cuff. Chance there's a goddamn UFO outside. But it was more of just like a funny, like, there's... Well, it's really... I think I truly meant it. Not in the... Because UFO is a loaded term. Everyone thinks it's extraterrestrial. No, it really is. It's unidentified. That's what... I mean, yeah. and I truly meant that in the truest sense of the word. I was like, Chance, there's something out. But again, almost jokingly, let's, let's go look at this thing. And that's when well, it came over. Your, your story is... is there are many the stories just like yours yeah that uh you know even jimmy carter yeah saw something similar yeah. to what you saw yeah uh so uh the stro the flashing or the strobing of light yeah i don't want to use strobe because strobe. i don't Pul think of strobe lights on airplanes pulsing but, uh, slow pulsing yeah pulsating light um and staying stationary for such a long period of time. I mean, I don't even think a helicopter would be stationary somewhere for uh, almost an hour. Yeah, yeah. You know, that doesn't, and then and then start to move. All of that, all of that really doesn't add up. But you know, these these stories are out there, and they uh, you were lucky enough, I guess, to see one. Yeah. Uh, maybe you were lucky enough not to see one too much of one. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When it started coming towards you. Yeah. If it been me, I would have gotten really jumpy. Yeah. Well, it was. 
Yeah, it was more, again, and that's what it was, is it wasn't, it truly was just confusion. It wasn't fear. It wasn't excitement. It was just like the rational, the way I describe it, it'd be like if you're walking, if you went for, like every morning I go for a walk or for a mile, same thing I do every day. If at one point you came back from, or whatever, your drive home from work, something you've done a thousand times. If at one point you came back and then you pulled into your driveway and then right out, right out in your lawn was a, a bright purple mini elephant floating off the ground, bobbing up and down for five seconds and then disappeared. It's something that you're just like, what the hell was that? It's not, it doesn't, it's not scary. It's not exciting. You're just like, and then it's gone. And then you go, no one's ever going to believe me. But so you'd sit down and you go, what did I just see? And if your friend is home, you go, Hey man, is there, what is that? And he's going to come out and go, uh, and then it disappears, and it's not like it came and it blew up my house, and now I need to give people an explanation for why my house has exploded. Didn't do anything, didn't hurt anyone, didn't interact with us. Came, was there, and was gone. And it's and I don't it's it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you never tell anyone the story, you just kind of go insane because you're like, did I am I hallucinating? If you do tell the story, you're like, well, now I'm a crazy person. But it's I, I don't know. But the one thing you can do is tell the story in hopes that more people tell the story and that sheds light on it. Because otherwise, it hides itself because no one wants to be ridiculed. But I figure I've already said so many crazy things on this podcast. Why not tell the UFO story? So it's that's how I look at it, man. I don't know. But um, yeah, Larry, let's wrap this one up. And um, I'm pretty booked up for the next. Let me pull up my calendar. Okay, right Tommy. Now. Yeah, you said you needed to. Yeah, away, I've, by the hour. yeah, I've uh, I'm pretty booked up until the not not this Saturday, not next Saturday, until like the 21st. But I'd love to have you on again and talk about more UFOs. Sure, I'll shoot. Sure. You, I'll shoot I mean, you. There's, there's plenty to talk about. Even uh, our conversation, uh, have, as long as we've had it before, and this one, yeah. Uh, four hours or more I mean, we still got we didn't talk about maelstrom oh no uh, well i was thinking know. what we could do is we could choose specific ufo events and then maybe yeah. do an episode for those and we can go specifically into that one and maybe some episodes will be two hours maybe some will be 30 minutes but i was thinking we could grab why don't you choose you want to do maelstrom we can do that and we could just yeah. do them we could do vandenberg we could do you know we could do dc we could do just line them up and just do an episode and, you know, maybe do a Maelstrom little... Maelstrom and uh, Vandenberg are both, uh, both excellent great stories. I know, because um, I know, uh, met and have talked to uh, Bob Salas, mm -hmm. who was launch control officer at the Maelstrom mm -hmm. event, or well, actually of uh, one of the Maelstrom events. There were there were two or three, I think. Yeah. So uh, Bob was uh, Bob's a good guy. He's a he's a straight shooter. He's a no BS sort of guy, and uh, so I've talked to him at length, and uh, of course he contributed to my book mm -hmm. also. Uh, so yeah, we can do that. I so would, just uh, I would love to. when you get your schedule straight, let me know. I'm yeah, be glad to chat with you some more. I've got. I mean, I've got my schedule right here. Um, what are your weekends normally? I mean, because right now I got uh, I got Saturday the twenty first and Sunday the twenty second. Either of those? Do either of those tickle your fancy? Um. Yeah. Either one. I don't have any. I really don't have any plans. I'm uh, being. I'm retired now. 
<laughs> are you are you still in medicine? No. So I got into medical school in 2013 and decided not to go. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, I think I told yeah right after I graduated, I, I lost a sibling to suicide, and uh, I kind of went oh, no. yeah I kind of went crazy for like four years. I just kind of like a UFO story. You just don't really know how to handle it. And I uh, I went off the uh, I went off the deep end, but uh, from 2016 till now, it's been on the up and up. And uh, I started this podcast last year and uh, hoping to turn it into a revenue source. But uh, I'm on I'm on the up and up now. But right now, it's I'm, putting out I'm podcasts. Glad to hear, Thank I'm you, glad, sir. I'm sorry to hear that, yes, but sir. I'm glad you're, you're doing okay. And I, I because um, I had a similar uh, thing to happen in mm-hmm. uh, my family. Yeah, it's uh, not not my immediate family, sure. but my brother's family. And, sure. Uh, it, uh, uh, yeah, there's no, there's no easy way to, I don't think there's an easy path through, through it. No, it happens no. and it's, uh, it's kind of like getting punched in the face by Mike Tyson. You just kind of got to stand up and, you know, wipe the blood out of your eyes and you're like, okay, but yeah. I think I'm stronger for it. But, uh, yeah, it's, I got nothing doing. Well, I was yeah, gonna say, my, sorry. Yeah. You're retired now. My, uh, yeah, I'm retired and I'm, uh, bound up tight in this apartment yeah i don't go out much at all yeah except as a grocery store to pick up groceries yeah have the people put them in my car yeah that i order online uh, fortunately here in uh, south texas we've got a fantastic chain of grocery store chain yeah. and uh they uh they're really really fantastic but uh uh, so I'm, I'm, I stay confined except to, I usually go to my son and daughter-in-law's home mm-hmm. and 10 grandchildren, yeah. uh, and the four adopted, but there's still 10 of them Absolutely. and, uh, and uh, visit them, uh, and have dinner with them usually once a week. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Uh, and, uh, other than that, I'm, I stay pretty close because I'm scared of this at my age yeah, i'm scared sure. of this virus sure i mean it, it is it is a i mean it's a lethal thing it's yeah. you know my yeah it's it's absolutely a lethal thing it's i'm 30 and i stay inside but i mean yeah man my parents i don't want my parents going out it's a you know it it is dangerous so it's it's good it's it's bad that you have to stay cooped up but it, it's good and it's um well thank goodness for internet and television exactly exactly that's that's how this that I've gotten I've stayed sane through this podcast I've stayed sane I've stayed sane through this quarantine because of this podcast I just choose guests and I load up my schedule and I give myself a lot of work to do and I every time I blink it seems it's been another 10 days and another 30 days and another five days and it's just have something to show for it so I've read books I've got podcasts out and I'm trying to build this podcast platform up so it's if you stay busy, I think you can pretty much handle anything. So we should uh, let's knock out some UFO episodes. I'm gonna okay. put. I'm uh, gonna put. Yeah, you... we'll uh, we'll do that. We've we've got plenty of topics to talk about. Hell yeah! And I think that's that's a good idea to pick pick two one or three topics. Yeah, I was gonna say let's just pick. We can just knock them out and just do them. For, I don't care. Yeah. We, we can do a hundred episodes over the next year. I don't care. Let's just yeah. choose the best ones and put a little bit of research into it and uh, really try to. Kind of, if, if at the very least, it could just be like a little educational episode. Even if we don't come across any novel information, maybe listeners will find something interesting and they'll see that this isn't all a bunch of like, oh, little green men. No, this is a very strange physical craft that have radar return, affect magnetic instruments. They're real. Presidents go to bunkers because of these things. 
They're real. What are they? As Larry says, this is all speculation. No one's claiming that they're extraterrestrial, but they're something odd. And I love going yeah. over it. So at the very least, they could be little educational episodes. All right, like well, that's right. I'm putting you down for uh, Saturday. I'll text to you. Saturday, November twenty-first. Yeah, when's Thanksgiving? That's actually a very good point. <laughs> it might be that week. Hold on. You know what? I'll text you after this. We don't need to decide right now. I think it's the twenty. It's the twenty-sixth. It's the twenty-sixth. 26 yeah. 26 Saturday okay. it's sorry it's uh Thursday November 26th so yeah, Saturday well, would be almost I have planned in is to have dinner Thanksgiving dinner with my uh son yeah. and uh, and daughter-in-law and grandchildren so do you uh, do you want to stick with that uh Saturday November 21st yeah that's fine I'll text yeah. it, I'll text it to you and um yeah, and again, yeah, if I'm a if I'm a little spotty with my responses over the next couple of weeks, it's because I've got I've got like 13 books to read for authors. Yeah. I gotta knock them out. I'm busy, and uh, <laughs> not to mention the election's going crazy. Trump will oh, take yeah. the election if Trump can just disclose UFOs. I hope he tweets tonight just a picture of a flying saucer from Roswell, and they can yeah. throw the whole thing into chaos. I uh, I think he's got some knowledge of it. I so. yeah, I think he does too. If anyone was going to disclose UFOs, it'd be Donald Trump. <laughs> but now we now we are truly wildly speculating. So yeah, Larry, I'll text you and um, thanks for coming on, man. God bless. Stay safe. God bless America. And uh, oh, same to you. I enjoyed it. I enjoy these conversations I'm because glad you, do. you know they're comfortable. They are. Yeah, it's not they're an interview. Very- it's not an interview. It's not a all right, Mister Holcomb. You wrote this book. Yeah, it's just yeah. whatever. Gotta go to the yeah. bathroom. Go to the bathroom. Put your feet up. I'm wearing pajamas. You know. <laughs> well, you know they're comfortable uh, to me, especially because uh, I'm not as young as I used to be. Say nonsense. And I, my my uh, recall is not as good as it sure. used to be. Sure. So things that I've studied sure. in depth. And I knew in depth. Yeah. Names, times, places. Yeah. I tend to forget a little bit, yeah. you know. Yeah. You, if you don't practice it all the time, yeah. it's uh, you get ready to tell an event and call somebody's name, General. Oh, wait a minute, yeah. who, what was that, General? General, so, you yeah. know that yeah. type of thing. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, it's a good mental practice. It's uh, it, you definitely, yeah, it helps you stay sharp, right? Because yeah. you got to kind of you get use it or lose it. You gotta you gotta work on it, and it's um, I like it. I think there's definitely a learning aspect to it. You uh. You learn a lot. You recall a lot. Learn how to tell stories. I think it's a fun thing, man, and um, I'm glad you come on. I thoroughly enjoy it. There is nothing I love more than talking about UFOs. There is nothing I love more. So I am in I am in heaven. So I guess it's uh, sort of like my my wife uh, and crossword puzzles. Oh yeah. She 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 became a crossword puzzle fanatic in her later years. Unfortunately, I lost her two years ago to breast cancer, but. Uh, and I miss her greatly, but uh, she did crossword puzzles because she said it kept her mind sharp. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. anyway, choose something to stay sharp. So let's do that. Let's let's okay. Let's do UFO educationals and uh, let's keep our minds sharp. Let's stay on it. Okay. All right, Larry. Good enough. God bless. Thank you so much for coming on, Larry. And uh, you're a treasure. Thank you, sir. Everybody out there, stay safe. Stay healthy. Thank you. Thank yes, you. Yes. Enjoyed it greatly. Yes, sir. Thank you. I'll see you. Bye. Bye-bye, Larry.